For as long as we have lived For as long as we have known Love has carried us You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading is Philippians 1, 15 through 30. Some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering and my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that I might share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that, whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with, with mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing, for he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well, since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The word of the Lord. Abby, great job. <clears throat> Give it up for Abby. Hey, friends. Thank you. So uh, 15 or 16 verses, there's so many different directions we could go. Paul, amazing church planter, uh, used to love God but hate Christians, which I know that describes some of you, perhaps. But then he had this mystical experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was on the way to persecuting more Christians because that's really what he believed God was calling him to do, to keep the religion pure. And then he experienced, he had this mystical, supernatural experience with the Christ that changed his entire life. He became blind for three days, didn't eat anything, and then submitted himself to the teachings of some of the disciples. And so that's the writer of Philippians. Philippians is uh, the first church. It's in modern-day Greece. It's the first church that Paul planted. And there's so many different ways that we could go with this text. We could talk about the afterlife because Paul talks about 
for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So we can talk about that. We're not gonna. Uh, so that's a different sermon. Uh, maybe in 10 years or so, we'll tackle the afterlife. Uh, we could talk about living for Christ. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be funny, really. Maybe we'll do it next week. Who knows? We could talk about living for Christ. We could talk about struggling together in unity. That'd be an interesting several weeks. We could talk about suffering with Christ. That'd be an interesting couple of years, probably. But what I want to talk about for a few minutes and reflect on is this phrase that Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And uh, when I when I've heard that phrase my whole life, because I've been in the church my whole life, and I don't know why, but I always hear it like this. You know what I mean? For me, it sounds almost Shakespearean. To live is Christ, to die is gain. You know, there, there's this, and there is an epic quality to it. But as I really tried to get to know Paul this week, I imagined him saying it very differently. He's writing from prison, and I imagined him talking to someone and saying that in almost a whisper. You know, like, for me, um, really, to live is to experience Christ. And then someone might say, like, man, what do you mean? And then he's like, don't worry, I'm going to write a whole book about it. I needed an editor, but there was none available, so I just wrote a bunch of run-on sentences, on and on and on, <laughs> on and on and on. They're beautiful. They made it into the canon. For me to live is Christ. So my question, as I was behind my desk in my office, was how did Paul experience Christ? Not how did Paul think about Christ, or not how did Paul construct a theological concept about Christ? Not even how did Paul work for, serve, or even worship the Christ, but how did he experience the Christ that led him to say, you know what, at the end of the day, for me to live is Christ. And if you read Paul's teachings, and I joke about the run-on sentences, I mean, they really are, you know, pretty long. Uh, but he writes about being shipwrecked. He writes about being flogged. He writes about suffering for Christ in a way that you would only do if you had an experience of Christ that was more than theology, amen? That was more than a construct. So um, when I was 21, I decided to leave my rambunctious and raucous life at Gustavus Adolphus College, where I really was pretty crazy. I lived pretty crazy back then. And I decided to work at a Christian camp. And um, so in my first summer, my whole life changed. I mean, I met in this very mystical, supernatural way the Christ that liked me. And that's what I experienced, like in a really tangible, supernatural way. I felt liked by God. That's different from being loved by God. Because, you know, God is love, and so it's sort of in jobs, jobs, 
God's job description to love you. When I say God loves you, you go like this. Maybe you don't believe it, but, but if I were to say, you know, God likes you, is affectionate toward you, thinks about you, thinks you're a rascal at times, likes you. So my second summer working at camp, um, I, my first summer I was a counselor. My second summer I was on program staff, so we planned all the activities. And there was one high school week, and it was like the pinnacle of the summer. And I remember there was this staff versus high school football game. And it was being all hyped up, and so we thought it'd be really funny to print out programs, you know, that listed the height and weight of all the players, you know, because that's like football. But we listed all the high school kids as five foot one, 105 pounds. And we thought that was really funny, you know, because, right, I mean, and the, the, the high school students didn't really think it was that funny. And so uh, there was all this animosity. It was building during the week, and this was a flag football game, right? But um, exactly. And so um, at one point, I had the ball, and I was running toward the end zone, and this dude tackled me and, like, went, like, bam, you know, like a real tackle, right? And I was a soccer player. I didn't, I was tackled, you know, in football. And my head hit the ground, and I was like, oh. And my first reaction as a Christian program uh, staff guy was to get him off the ground after I got out of his grasp and go like this. Now, luckily, at around here, I thought, I don't want to go to prison. Now remember, I'm on staff at this camp. He's a high school kid. And the game ended at that. That was like the end of the game. That was the end of the game. And I felt my amygdala, you know, the amygdala hijack. It was fight or flight, and I chose to fight. And uh, after I realized what I did, I felt so embarrassed and awful, and I apologized to the kid. And uh, and then we went, later on, we had the staff meeting, and I was like, oh, man. And uh, the leader of the camp was a guy named Herb Bloomquist, greatest guy on the planet. And does anybody know Herb? Anybody? Okay, some of you do, because he's the greatest guy in the world. And I, uh, in the staff meeting, I just blurted it out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys, I'm so sorry. I, I totally lost it. Uh, clearly, I needed to go to the Greg Boyd conference about nonviolence, because I almost... I almost lost it. And Herb, this was his response to me. He goes, Steve, man, I'm almost glad that happened. Because up until now, you've been just such a faithful and beautiful servant up here. I'm, I'm, I'm glad something happened to sort of, um, you know, humble you a little bit. And the love that was pouring out of his eyes was so, it was like it melted me. He didn't, he didn't pretend it didn't happen, but he poured all this affection into me. And then he said to me, Steve Weens, you're gold. And I was 22 at that point, and I had these plans to be a youth pastor, you know. And uh, he was one of the people in my life that, helped me stay on the course. Being a pastor, because I'm a, um, I still consider myself somewhat 
unlikely pastor. Uh, chuckles. <laughs> chuckles. So what is it like to experience that kind of affection? And why did Paul experience it like that too? Well, to help us, the gospel text this week in the lectionary text, it's from Matthew 20, and it's the story of the, it's a parable that Jesus tells of these workers in a vineyard. But I'm going to retell it courtesy of this brilliant guy named Robert Ferrar Capone. So imagine Robert Mondavi. Anyone like Mondavi? It's kind of a, anyone drink wine around here? Does anyone? I kind of say that, kind of. I mean, I'm more of an apothic dark kind of a guy, but apothic red. (laughs) So imagine uh, it's been a beautiful summer. It's been hot when it needed to be hot. They've got enough rain. The grapes are ready. The harvest is huge. And then the weather report comes in that it's going to be cold rain on Wednesday. And it's Saturday right now. So Mondavi and everyone else rushes down. They need to get workers to get this harvest in stat. But everybody else has the same weather report. So everyone has to decide what the wage for the day is going to be. So Mondavi says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the wage at $120 a day, which is a little high, but, you know, workers are going to be scarce, and i got to get down and get them. So 6 a.m., he goes down to the center of uh, the little square where these migrant workers show up because they're hoping to get uh, work for the day. And he says, hey, I'll take anyone who wants to work for $120 for the day. The day is 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. you got to work 12 hours, and you got to work fast because we got a lot of grapes to harvest. So he gets two truckloads. Takes, it, uh, takes them to the, uh, to the vineyard and sets them to work. Well, then he gets on his iPhone, and uh, the weather is not coming in on Wednesday. It's coming in on Monday. So he's really got to get these grapes in fast. Remember, it's Saturday now. So 9 a.m., he goes back down to the place where the migrant farmers uh, are gathered. There's still some more guys. He says, hey, I'll pay a fair wage just get in the truck and come to the vineyard. So he gets a few more guys at 9 a.m. He drops them off at noon. He goes back and gets some more. Hey, fair wage, you know, I'll take you to the vineyard. Yep, great. 3 p.m., same thing. We got three more hours. We got to get this harvest in. And then at 5 p.m., he's got one more hour of work, but there's still too many grapes left. And so he goes back and he says, I, I got to get more guys. So he, he finds these guys, you know, and they're they're sitting around smoking and playing dice and stuff. And he's like, you guys, I will pay you a fair wage if you come and work for me. And these guys are like, by the time we get there, it's probably going to be like 35 minutes worth of work. So, eh, you know, maybe I'll get, I'll get dinner. And so they go. And uh, what happens is all these migrant farmers are talking together, you know. So, like, the people that showed up at 9 asked the 6 a.m. guys, like, hey, what, you know, all he told me was they would give me a fair wage. What, what did he promise you? They said, well, he promised me 120 bucks for 12 hours of work. So the 9 a.m. guys do the math. Okay, that means I'm going to get what would be that? 90 bucks. Forgive me. I, I didn't do the math. And then, uh, and then the 12 p.m. guys, okay, six hours. Yeah, you know, we'll get about 60 bucks. And then the 3 p.m. guys, all right, you know, well, we'll get 30 bucks, but it's not that much. But, hey, for three hours of work, that is actually pretty good. And the 5 p.m. guys say, well, 10 bucks. I mean, you know, if we go to McDonald's, that'll, we, we can get several two-for-ones or whatever. Um, but then they get it, by 6 o'clock, they get the whole harvest in. And Mondavi is like, 
I'm going to make some good Merlot this year. I'm going to make some good Cabernet this year. It's going to be amazing. And then he tells his uh, president, he goes, but let, let me fill the, the, you know, the, the pay envelopes, okay? So he fills them all, and then he goes, okay, I want you to pay the people, pay the five o'clockers first. So he gathers them all together. Okay, five o'clockers, guys who only work 35 minutes, here's your pay. And they, they, they open it up, and they run because they think it's a mistake, right? <laughs> no way. 120 bucks they get. 120 bucks for 35 minutes of work. The 3 p.m.ers do the same thing. The nooners do the same thing. But by now, the 6 a.m.ers are hearing what's happening. They're seeing everyone lit up, and they're like, man, we're going to get extra. He promised us 120. What if we get like 480 or even like 1,000 bucks? This guy's awesome. And they're kind of waiting back there. You know, they're, they're tired. They're bent over, but they're, they're excited about getting some extra. When it comes to them, the 6 a.m.ers, they've been there all day working hard. They open up their envelope, and they get 120 bucks. Now, pretend this story isn't in the Bible, <laughs> and you're a 6 a.m. worker. What's your reaction to Mr. Robert Mondavi? You've been cheated. What else? He's cheap. Remind me to tell you a story of when in 10th grade I called my dad cheap. That went pretty well. <laughs> went over pretty well. Uh, what, he's cheap. He's cheated us. What else? It's not fair. Okay, that would be your, your reaction. Okay, Katie the lawyer. Hey, I agreed to 120 bucks. I got 20 bu 120 bucks. I am fine. That would be a reaction that you can have. Fair. Who else? Coming in at 5.30 tomorrow. <laughs> yes. What else? He's a communist. <laughs> hey, millennials, communism is a... Um, Exactly. Next time, I'm showing up at 5. You know what I'm saying? Because why would I show up earlier than that? I mean, you get 120 bucks. Exactly. Uh, so this is what the gospel says in Matthew 20. When they received it, the money, they, the 6 a.m.ers, grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he, Mandavi, replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage as my executive, Katie Schlenk, told you? It's, it's, it's in the Greek, it's, it's, hard to, it's, hard to, it's hard to translate. Some commentators say Katie Schlenk's in there. Um, by the way, if you ever hear a preacher say, some commentators say, they're making it up. Uh, and then Mandavi says, take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give this to the last, the same as I give it to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? 
Or are you envious because I'm generous? Now, that text is beautiful and awful. You should be feeling all the things, all the feelings when you read that text. I think Paul always thought of himself as a five o'clocker when it came to Jesus. He persecuted Christians. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a rising star as a Pharisee. Uh, And there was every reason for him, for God to punish him for killing his children. But instead, Jesus chose him to be one of the prominent spreaders of the gospel. Now, how crazy is that? And I don't think he ever forgot that he was a five o'clocker. Philippians 3, later on in Philippians 7 through 11, Paul writes this, Whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. I would say experiencing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And I regard regard them as rubbish. The Greek word is skubalon. It literally means the defecation of animals. So you can do your own translation there. (laughs) I regard them all as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, which is what he used to have, but one that comes through faith in Christ. I think Paul never forgot that he was a five o'clocker. Now, are you bad if you're a 6 a.m.er? No. You work hard. You worked really, really hard. But the problem comes when you say, hey, Mandavi, I got a problem with you treating people that don't deserve it the same way as you treat me. That's when the problem comes in. Because Jesus makes it really uncomfortably clear that his father is generous and he gives to those who don't deserve it. Amen? So the question is, from Paul, what kind of relationship with Christ, the Christ, do you want? And here's the thing. I think you can have whatever you want. If you want a relationship with Christ where you work really hard, and then take what you've earned and go, you can have that kind of relationship with Christ. And I think Christ will take that. Like, it'll be like, yeah. Um, It's about this deep and about this wide. And that's how much of God's love that you will experience if you choose to keep trying to earn your relationship with Christ. That's not a condemnation, but it's an invitation to say there's so much more. At the end of the day, all of us are, (laughs) right? Now, you laughed at me, treated me like I was trash. (laughs) (laughs) The truth is, man, we're all five o'clockers at some level. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we can, we can start to live free and have less to lose and less to defend. Amen? Less to judge. 
Instead, we can say, man, I, you know what? For me, for me to live is Christ. The Christ that sees me, knows me, died for my sins, lives in me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left, as we sang earlier. The Christ that accompanies me through all things. The Christ that goes before me, behind me. The Christ that is the perfect revelation of God. That Christ in me is life. So you can work really hard to earn that relationship. And you can take what you've earned and, and go. Or you can treat everything you've earned as scubalon, rubbish, and nakedly seek to know Christ and be found in him and see where that takes you. That's a more compelling life to me. It's a riskier life. People will misunderstand you and say you don't deserve it. What's great is you don't. When you have nothing left to defend, you can just say, Oh, man, there's so much worse on me that you could say. I got so much more than this. So much more. I'm such a five o'clocker. And I think that's when we understand the deep, we begin to understand the deep, fathomless mercy and grace of God. Amen. Amen.